0: Good to have you back here on a Wednesday edition of the program. Happy Hump Day, everybody. 18th day of May. Happy birthday to Brian from downtown. Had a chance to see him earlier today. Had a good time. And uh, great conversation. He's good on the air when he calls in. He's even better when you have a chance to spend uh, an hour and a half with him. So that was a lot of fun today. As he's home right now, watching his beloved Dodgers. That's his birthday gift to get to two o'clock afternoon game. As the Dodgers are in the middle of what what you might imagine could be another you know potential high scoring affair with Arizona. A lot of day baseball today, by the way. Dodgers currently. Um, well, let me see here. Is it over or is it still going on? Nope. It's five two Dodgers. Top six. Walker Bueller on the mound. We do have some finals from earlier today. And uh, Colorado came back and beat the Giants. Big win for them. Uh, Braves losing at 11 to the Brewers. They blew a big lead also. So we'll talk a little baseball today with uh, Jay Jaffe and uh, Jeff Erickson on the program. We'll get Adrian's movie review sometime today. Good. I'm ready. You watched something today? Yes, I did. Yes, right. I did. <laughs> That's a, you're, you're in the show lineup. You are in the show lineup. Absolutely. Thank, thank goodness. Like, there's never any, any doubt. Come made the on. Cut. I made the cut. You did. You did. And then Hags will join us in a couple of hours. By the way, I was wrong on the air yesterday. I said we're only going to be on until 5 today, 6 tomorrow. It's backwards. We're on until 6 today, 5 tomorrow. So just an hour tomorrow. By the way, we are going to work on getting Dawn Hearn on the program either tomorrow or Friday. She is uh, retiring after 34 years. What a run for Dawn. Man, you know what I want to hear from Dawn. When we get her on the show. I want to get her like top five all-time UTEP memories that she was a part of.
1: Well, I thought you were going to say top five players that she worked with. I mean, like in any sport, like that—that that has got to be a tough list because yep. you had Johnny Lee Higgins in town here to to visit her for her retirement party. I mean, how many stories like that are there for Dawn? I, I there there
0: are so many of those. The respect that so many UTEP. Current and former student athletes have for that woman is unbelievable. It really is. So we've had Don on the show before, not as often. I mean, you don't get trainers like you do coaches, athletes, broadcasters, those kind of things. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That'll be a lot of fun. So that'll be coming up as well on the program today, or honestly today, uh, either tomorrow or Friday. We'll reach out. We'll make sure you can get Don booked up. Um, and uh, we'll also have uh, a chance to uh, talk to the doc later this week. Dr. Sergio Alvarado will join us on uh, Friday's program with Ask a Doctor. So I'm looking forward to that. Just looking forward to everything. It's going to be a good week, folks, and we're in the middle of the week right now. Last night, Miami, well, too much for Boston. And you say to yourself, if the Celtics did have two of their main guys in the lineup that were out yesterday, one due to injury, another due to COVID, could it have been a different story? Uh, The answer is absolutely yes. Because if you look at it, third quarter is what killed the Celtics yesterday. They were horrible in the third. And that was when everything uh, was going right for Miami and everything went wrong for the Celtics 39-14 they were outscored and it was interesting too cuz if you looked at the Celtics um baskets yesterday they lived and died with the 3 and they were having a very difficult time going inside and you understand why again i mean you know you're with you're without one of your main leaders uh, who plays the center spot and without him you're asking um, you know, the rest of this team to carry him, and there's only so much Tatum could do. And by the way, Williams did not have a bad game at all, 18 points, nine boards. It's a terrific basketball game. And uh, also, you look at what uh, Jalen Brown did, 24 points. Um, the problem is, after those three, and they did get 18 off the bench from Pritchard, uh, there were others that really had a very tough time yesterday. And there's just not as not as many weapons. And by the way, when Jimmy Butler scores 41, they're going to be hard to beat. And that's just the truth. And almost everybody in that starting lineup was in double figures except for P.J. Tucker. So, you know the Heat? They're a good team at home. And uh, that third quarter is all it takes. Look, you get one big quarter in, in a playoff basketball game, That's usually all she wrote, and that third quarter was such a dominant performance by Miami – Boston never had a chance after that.
1: Yeah, I felt like yesterday was kind of like a tale of two halves. First half, I felt like Boston dominated. All the shots were falling, and then for the Heat, none of their shots were falling in the first half, so it completely flipped in the in the second half. Um, you can't really give any justification for the Celtics to score just thir- uh, 14 points in the third quarter. Yeah. That's terrible, and then, I mean, you know, you're know, you talking about eight minutes into the third quarter. They only have four points scored uh, in, in the entire quarter, so it was just a frustrating third quarter for the the Celtics they couldn't climb out of it uh, Tatum although he shot okay yesterday he had seven turnovers and that was very costly for the Celtics yep. they rely on Grant Williams to hit those outside jumpers and yesterday he didn't attempt anything he wasn't doing absolutely you know anything for the Celtics when Aaron Neesmith is playing off the bench that's when you know things are not good for the Celtics and uh, they just couldn't get things going in the absence of Al Horford and Marcus Smart it looks like Smart will be back tomorrow but it looks him. like uh, Al Horford won't be uh,
0: back until game three. Williams only attempted five shots. That's all he took. Yeah. Can't do that. Can't do that at all. No. And and you want to know something interesting? Boston outscored Miami in the other three quarters. They outscored them in every quarter. But when you're outscored by 25 points in the third, uh, how do you come back from that? Unless you have the similar kind of um you know quarter where you can dominate it's almost impossible you can't do it so boston yeah they won the first the second and the fourth quarters but hey you get beat so badly like they did in the third you, in, in the in the eastern conference finals you're not going to be able to come back
1: Again, and a lot of credit goes to Eric Spoelstra in the halftime adjustments. I like how they went to more of a attacking zone in the second half, uh, and the, instead of going one on one with all the guys going man to man, I liked going with that attacking zone because it allows your stars like Jimmy Butler uh, to leave the game with four steals. It allows guys off the bench like Victor Oladipo to make plays and, and get a pair of steals as well. Uh, the way that they were able to adjust defensively, get big shots from Gabe Vincent—that's the recipe for Miami to, to win some of these games and it only takes three more uh, of these performances from Jimmy Butler in order for the Heat to advance in the playoffs and one last thing Steve when I saw the stat yesterday that Eric Spolstra is 5-0 and in Eastern Conference Final Series I was like, yeah, wow, amazing, isn't that it? that's amazing. This heat team might it's be ne- destined for the finals here. And
0: Spolstra's never lost in an Eastern Conference Finals.
1: I can't believe that stat. That was just that that really blew my mind yesterday.
0: We've said it all week, and it's the truth. He is without a doubt the most underrated coach in the NBA. Nobody listen, when you bring up the greats, Doc Rivers is brought up over Eric Spolstra 10 out of 10 times. Always. People look at Doc. And you know what? Spolster gets overlooked quite often. And he's not coaching the big 3. He doesn't have right now um LeBron James along with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. He's a different team, different group. But they're right back again and you know Miami's got a legit shot to uh, to, to to win this one. And if they hold uh you know home floor which they could and then they go back to Boston up 2-0, that really bodes well for them.
1: I, I look back to the bubble season where the Heat and the Celtics also met up in the Eastern Conference Finals. This kind of gives me flashbacks to that series right there. They did uh the Celtics I felt like they folded in the third in the third quarter, just didn't have the defense that they needed in, in this one to win this game. They look frustrated too. That's the thing. Yep. When you rattle the Celtics, when you get under their skin, it's over. Like the Celtics are not uh at times they're not well composed and it's they leave it up to their head coach and Ime Doka to kind of settle them down down at timeouts but he was so frustrated yesterday I mean he was benching Jalen Brown he was getting mad at Grant Williams like he was really upset yesterday rightfully so Eric Spolstra outcoached outcoached him and Miami outplayed Boston yesterday
0: absolutely right so uh, that series uh, now you know a little pressure on the Celtics as we get ready for tonight's game one of the Western Conference Finals excited about the Mavs and Warriors that comes up seven o'clock on TNT tonight uh, again, Luka and Steph is the story, but there's so much more to it than that. And as much fun as that Boston-Miami series is going to be, Uh, Dallas and Golden State has the chance to be absolutely awesome if these teams play up to their capabilities.
1: Luka's got to win one tonight, Steve. This is the one you steal. Game one is the one where you set the tone for the series. If the Mavericks want to come out and upset the Warriors, it's going to be tough. I mean, this is a Warriors team who's only lost 10 times all year at home uh, when you're talking about the regular season and even in the playoffs. You you see how that crowd gets excited uh, in the middle of games and playoffs. They know they've been there. They've been there recently, and this 100%. is a veteran group. So now they're going up against Luca, who wants to prove to everybody that this is his come-out party, this uh, playoffs, and that uh, he's here as one of the elite superstars in this
0: league. 100%. 100% correct. So that's coming up uh, 7 o'clock tonight. And by the way, not only is that on the docket for tonight, but then you've got Rangers Hurricanes in an hour on ESPN, and you've got Oilers Flames – In that one. So that's going to be a lot of fun. A little second-round action. How are you feeling as a Rangers fan, Steve? I mean, not great. The the Hurricanes are really good. That's a a very – that's not Pittsburgh. That's a much more dangerous team. Now, the Rangers are lucky. They are lucky to get by the pens in that series. I know what Carolina is capable of. They're capable of sweeping the Rangers right out of the postseason. So that is going to be an interesting series in itself. Now, you watch that Bruins see, uh, see, you know, series, and that went a full seven, okay? And the Hurricane won 3-2 in Game 7. That was a great series. So the advantage to the Rangers is Carolina was taken to the brink just by, by by Boston, just like the Rangers were by Pittsburgh. I think it's going to be fun. A lot of fun,
1: yeah. And, and when you re- reflect back on those two series, the Hurricane uh, they, they had the Hurricanes had to beat a team who had veteran experience. The Rangers had to beat a team who had a veteran experience. Both these teams are kind of up and coming over the past couple years. And hey, the, both of them had almost identical regular season records. So on paper, th- this looks like a very even matchup. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Rangers first game on the road, and then of course, like you mentioned earlier, Oilers Flames right after it at 7:30 on E. ESPN
0: it's going to be good and and by the way uh, Carolina had the Rangers number this year during the regular season now again you can throw that out the window because regular season doesn't mean anything but they did win three of the four matchups uh, the only loss was 2 nothing to the Rangers and that was uh, back on March the 20th uh, in Carolina so we'll see what happens I'm interested in this series but again Rangers hadn't been to the playoffs in a while like five six years and then advancing to the second round is also a bonus. I don't want to say the Rangers are playing on house money. They're not. they got a really good team. But this has a chance to be a terrific series.
1: You could also argue that the Rangers have a little bad taste in their mouth after uh, the Hurricanes defeat, uh, defeated them in one of the final uh, games of the season, regular season, to win the division title. So maybe the Rangers have that bad blood and, and bad taste in their mouth. They want to get some revenge against the Carolina Hurricanes. Yep. Maybe tonight's that night to get steal one on the road in game one.
0: And I'm looking forward to lightning. Panthers and Blues Avalanche. That's tomorrow night. That'll be another terrific uh, two series that are going to be happening in the East and West.
1: Yeah, I really like Colorado. What they showed me yesterday is that they're a a team who's tough. Uh, You know, when you watched a a team like the St. Louis Blues, they're a very tough team as well. That's why it went to overtime, but Colorado able able to outlast them yesterday.
0: 100%. 100%. All right. We have a good uh, show lined up for you today. By the way, we just got word. I just got word during the segment, Jay Jaffe is in transit. So we will not be able to get Jay on the show this hour. So we'll have uh, Jeff Erickson in our 5 o'clock hour. Hope to get Jay tomorrow or Friday. We'll see how that goes. Again, just an hour tomorrow, and then we're back for two hours on Friday. But this means we have a little more time with you here in uh, hour one of the program. Excited about that, too. All right, our telephone number to get into the show, 505. 6009 that's 505-6009, tweet us at 600 ESPN El Paso, message us, chat with us during the show while you're listening on the 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app powered by United Bank. So many ways to join us here on Sports Talk. Right now, let's go to Charlie One, he's joining us with our first traffic update of the afternoon. All right, so Would love to hear from you, especially with what we've got going on right now with uh, playoff action and pucks and uh, playoff hoops. I think that's important. Also, I want to talk about the Bryson Williams story that Adrian wrote about today. All right. And it's important because number one, um, the G League has this camp. And if you do well in the camp, you'll have a chance to go to the NBA draft combine. And that's exactly what happened with Bryson Williams. Now, this is a guy, Adrian, that no matter who you look at online, is, has never been considered an NBA draft prospect by any of the analysts. Matter of fact, he hasn't even been a top 100 guy this whole season. So, nobody has looked at Bryson's game, no matter how good he's played on national television with Texas Tech and before that with UTEP, as a future pro, primarily because of his age. Now, we talked a lot about this on the show that when you're over 22 years old, Bryson's about, what, 24, 25? 24, right. 24. uh, You're not considered a draft prospect because you're too old. It's it's stupid, but that's just the reality. When you're drafting 19, 20-year-old 20 kids, 24 is a, is is old. It just is. But you cannot deny the ability, the polish and the way he handled the Big 12 this year and the tournament and knowing that that can translate into uh the NBA. So It's going to be fascinating to me, number one, to see if Bryson gets drafted. That's a big thing because he could very well, despite his age, I can't believe I'm saying he's about a 24-year-old. It's so stupid, but it is. Uh, Despite the age, he could become a pop-up draft prospect that shows so well in Chicago and he gets on everybody's draft board, whether it's second round or whatever it's going to be, that's fine. Or if he doesn't get drafted, and all the draft analysts have the last laugh because they will probably tell you, well, he was never a top-100 prospect, so we never expected Bryson to get drafted, whether he goes to Chicago or not. He still is going to play summer league ball, that's almost guaranteed, and have a shot to play uh, in training camp with an NBA team and try to make a roster that way. Where at worst he's playing in the G League. Best case scenario, he breaks uh, breaks in with an NBA team this year.
1: Yeah, what he did this past week was very encouraging to Bryson Williams' draft stock or even just stock to make a, a roster on an NBA team eventually. Uh, I liked what I saw from the film that we you know that we got a chance to see the little clips on social media that started circling about um, you know circulating about Bryson Williams. His shot making. is is there. He could score at all three levels. He could, he could score inside, he could hit mid-range jumpers, and he could hit three-point shots. He needs to get a little bit better, better when it comes to his ball handling. I worry about him a little bit defensively, and I think when teams look at his age at 24 years old, they probably think to themselves that, that he doesn't have the upside, and I disagree with that. I think that you could still get Bryson Williams from the age of 25 through 28 and get a ton of production from him, whether it's off the bench, whether it's in a G League format where he's scoring thirty a game, whatever it might be, I just think that Bryson Williams is built to play basketball. If it's here in America, if it's overseas, whatever
0: it is, he's going to be playing professional basketball for for uh, you know the foreseeable future for a long time. I think Bryson's going to have a great career as a pro. I, I really do. And you're right; it could be overseas, um, it-, it could be um, you know in the G League. See, I don't think Bryson goes overseas, and I'll tell you why. I think that if he starts in the G League, he knows he's you know a call-up away if he plays well. And you posted that video of what he did in the G League camp when he dropped 23 points and was a leading scorer in that game. So we've all known Bryson can do it. I mean, how many times do you have to watch him on in, in every big college basketball game dominate? He made a living dominating Kansas, made a career out of it, for crying out loud. Dominated them at UTEP when they played Kansas, and they dominated him this year at Texas Tech on a bunch of occasions. So we know what he can do against the best teams in college basketball. That's not even a question.
1: He will make his presence known. That's another thing, Steve. Every time he's on the floor, you know that he's on the floor because of his shot-making abilities. And there are times when you can question his consistency. I think that's what we remember uh, of the you know the down games with Bryson Williams at UTEP. But you look at Anthony Tark. You look at John Bohannon. Those two are in the NBA G League right now. And uh, for John Bohannon, he put up some really big numbers as a former minor uh, playing for the Boston Celtics G League affiliate. And why can't Bryson Williams do do that with maybe some of the teams that are getting a chance to look at him over this week at the NBA Combine, or if it's a team who wants to take a chance on him draft night in the second round. Most of those second round guys don't see the floor within the first three years of their NBA careers anyway. So why not take a flyer on Bryson Williams and see what he can you know uh, develop and turn out to be?
0: Oh, I'm with you on that one. And by the way, on Monday, Bryson scored 14 points. And then he had the camp high uh, by tying it with 23 points on Tuesday. Seven of eight from the field um, and seven of eight from the free throw line, two three-pointers. And think about this. There were seven players in this camp who earned an invite to the draft combine. He is one of seven that played in this. So that goes to show you he's a wild card. But we knew he'd be a wild card because Bryson Williams is probably the most, and I'll say this, of of anybody in the combine, he's probably the most polished player by far. You know, his game doesn't have a ton of growth because it's already there. It's the only downside to Bryson is that you'll say, well, he's too polished, meaning his game is so good you wonder how much better will it be able to get at the NBA level. Most of the guys that are going to be drafted are kids. They're teenagers. And their and their ceiling is through the roof because they're babies. Bryson is, you know, he's an average by 4 5 years older than everybody else in the draft. So, he's like grandpa Bryson. But the truth is, his game is so good, you can't tell me that there's not an NBA team that could use it. But to put it in comparison He's a year older than Luca. Think about that for a second, folks. That is a great analogy wow. of why teams are not necessarily looking at drafting Bryson Williams. He's a year older than Luca, and Luca's been in the league forever.
1: Wow, you you uh you got me there. I am I'm like dumbfounded at that right there I just looked up he's the same age as Jason Tatum so you can look at some of these guys who we feel like have been in the NBA for a while yep, now yep. and uh and you know Bryson Williams has held his own when it comes to better competition I, I think it's just about uh you know getting that opportunity I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the G League this year putting up good numbers and then being uh g- you know given that 10-day contract to try to play in the NBA it just also depends on the situation you mm-hmm. want him to go maybe to an up-and-coming Team or a team on the rise who's always tries to give uh, opportunities to their young prospects, Uh, but that I guess that would be his best case scenario as far as landing spot.
0: Pretty crazy though when you start to think about it. I can't believe
1: that. I can't believe he's a year older than
0: Luca. I know, but that just goes to show you what the NBA looks for in the draft. And why Bryson's so different.
1: Yeah, real quick, uh, I just realized that some of the company, those seven players that you mentioned who uh, went off from the elite camp include uh, familiar names Marcus Sasser from Houston and then Kenny Lofton Jr. from
0: ah, Louisiana Tech. Very interesting. Yeah, All that's right. right. Good for Lofton. All right. And Kenny Lofton Jr. is probably 20.
1: That's true. Or yeah. 19, Still whatever he is. Still yeah.
0: He's only second year this year. All right. 31 past, bottom of the hour. You want in on the show, 505 We need to get Bryson on the program. texted
1: him today let's let's see what we can get if we can get him soon today was his first day in Chicago so let's see if we can get him on later this week
0: oh wait so the the, uh, Chicago NBA uh, combine is now
1: yeah it started today I don't know if he flew in today I don't know if like he's getting set up today but I know that it Mm. runs from today through Friday
0: okay sounds good maybe we'll get him on next week that would be cool most definitely 505-6009 let's get right back to Mr. Broadus and get this Sports Center update thank you very much Again, folks, uh, a lot of great conversation today. Bryson Williams, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, baseball. Uh, Chihuahua's got the locomotive tonight. That's a big one. Home match, T-shirt giveaway for Locomotive FC. And most importantly, uh, they've got a five-match unbeaten streak at home that they need to keep capitalizing on. I mean, they've they've started to uh, play better uh, on their home field, and Following a tough one nothing loss over the weekend, Adrian, they need to bounce back in a big way tonight.
1: Yeah, and I like the fact that they're starting to protect uh, home field again, kind of like what they did last year. Uh, they got off to a tough start this year. However, they've won four straight at Southwest University Park. This is a big one tonight for them to try to capitalize and win on. Um, this is that middle, you know, that summer point of the season early on into the summer. Uh, locos need as many wins as they can get right now.
0: Absolutely right. So that's coming up. I want to talk about an article that our pal Shahan Jayaraja wrote a couple of hours ago for CBSSports.com regarding the NCAA Division I Council. Now, they voted today uh, on a couple of things. First off, they're going to implement a two-year waiver for programs to sign a larger number of recruits as well as remove the requirements for FBS Conference Championship Games allowing conferences to decide themselves on how their teams will be eligible for the contest. Now, the initiatives were rubber-stamped following recommendations from the Football Oversight Committee earlier this month. So, let's talk about scholarships first as uh, Shahan broke it down. Uh, Here's the change, okay, because you're starting to see more roster turnover thanks to the transfer portal. So previously, schools were limited to adding 25 initial scholarship players a year between high school recruits and transfers, and they had some loopholes. However, now some schools are getting 20 or more scholarship players entering the portal. You could wonder, how are you going to do this? How will this work? So now, while the NCAA would remove the restriction for a limited period of time, teams would still be capped. At 85 scholarship players. However, now over two years, you could fill the number of all the players that are leaving into the portal. Now, from a UTEP standpoint, this really hasn't affected the minors. I got to give Dana Dimmel a lot of credit because as this team has been winning, they have not seen, other than really Jacob Cowing and a handful of others, a lot of football players enter the transfer portal. In fact, They've been very fortunate to keep most of their team intact these last few years.
1: Steve, this is very interesting right here. Just on a national scale, doesn't affect, like you said, locally uh, too much. Although I'll say this, it's interesting because it seemed like Dana Dimmel and the staff, they worked so hard to make sure that they had as many initial scholarships year after year by trying to get move away from the blue shirt and the gray shirt method and move toward just those initial scholarships. Um, I'm, I'm so curious to see how this will impact UTEP moving forward and how the, uh, we'll, we'll start to see more or less gray shirts and blue shirts moving forward
0: as well great point and that's because we already know that blue shirts has been a dimmel staple but he hasn't needed to do blue shirts as much because now he's really kind of caught up in terms of scholarships yes. where they don't have to borrow from future classes like they have the last four or five three or four years
1: and if it's a local recruit that they want to get on scholarship they don't have to take an official visit. No. So, those players can be gray shirt players. They could still be uh, scholarship players. They could still get red shirted, but they're classified as gray shirts since they never uh, had a chance to make an official visit. So, still works out for UTEP.
0: Now, regarding the conference title games, I'm really interested in this because of what CUSA is going to turn into starting in 2023, right? They've got their divisional structure still now for one more year. But, look, they're going to be down to 9 after this season. And then the question's going to be, how do they handle that? Uh, is it right? Are they down to 9 or are they up to 11? What is it up to? I think,
1: well, I don't know about football,
0: but for I, thought football. It was,
1: I thought it was 11 when it when the merger finally happens. Uh, but I'm not sure. Too sure, on, on that. I got it. Right, makes
0: check. sense. I mean, even if it's 11, that means they can only play. I mean, you have the ability to play eight conference games. So that would be that, you know, one school wouldn't play two teams, but they would play everybody else.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds. Wait a, minute, right. they were, wait a minute.
0: They were 14, right? Right. No, I'm wrong on this. They were 14. They're losing five to the AAC. Right. They're losing So they're, so they're going to go from 11 to six, right? There's going to be six left UTEP, La Tech, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, and FIU, and then who am I missing? Western? I already said them. Okay. Uh. UTEP, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, La Tech, FIU. Who
1: are we missing? Who are missing? Is there
0: anybody else left? Is it? Or is that it?
1: I think that's it. I think that's that sounds right.
0: They're losing 9 out of 14, right? They are losing 9 out of 14. There's only 5 left. That's right, okay. yes. Okay, so good. So of those 5, here are the newcomers. Um, let's see. Liberty 6... NMSU 7, Sam Houston State is 8.
1: And then Jacksonville State 9. That's Jacksonville it. State. So that's they'll it. have
0: nine football teams. That's it. Which means they're playing an exact conference schedule every year of eight games. Thank goodness. Right? So here you go, though. So think about this for a second. So now, uh, the, old way, the old rule was conferences with at least 12 members had to decide football championships by going into divisions and hosting the winners of each division in a conference championship game. But that, now is that's gone. So, like, take the Big 12 this year. They have 10, right? Um, you know, they've played a round robin schedule, culminating with the top two teams playing in a conference championship game. The ACC is exploring a 3 5 5 scheduling model that would feature three consistent common opponents and five opponents that rotate each year.
1: I like that. I kind of, especially knowing that the SEC will expand in the future. Yep. I kind of like that system right there.
0: Well, especially since you'll know that every every four year athlete would play at every school at least once in the in the conference. Think about this: how many UTEP players on the football team could say they've never played at Marshall? A lot. Everybody. Same with Western. Yes, because they don't play at Marshall or at Western. The schedule never does that. So maybe it changes. But the good news is when you've got nine now. Best two teams can play in the conference championship every year regardless. You don't need to have conferences. What would you have divisions for? You have nine schools. Just put everybody, group them one to nine. Best two teams record-wise in the conference with certain tiebreakers, with common opponents and all that. Go ahead and play in the conference title game. I'm in, the, I'm in the
1: boat, Steve, where I look at the Pac-12's model, what they did today eliminating that conference championship game. And I want to know, is that better for Conference USA? Could they go with that format? Now, hear me out on this. Let's say for one season Western Kentucky goes 12-0 and and a conference title game is looming. Well, what if they lose that conference title game and you could kiss the New Year's Six Bowl goodbye uh, in, in a possibility there? Now, you know, there's an argument that they could boost their stock in a New Year's Six Bowl, but there's also an argument that a group of five school like Western mm. Kentucky could never get to a college football playoff. So my thing is... If you're a conference like Conference USA, maybe don't have the conference championship game, so you could try to boost your conference champion if you're in a place where a team goes undefeated.
0: True. And remember, the Pac-12 is going to play a title game. They are going to play a football title okay, game. They will? But but they are, but they're going to have but it's going to have to be the two highest win percentages instead of That's divisions. Right. Okay. That's how it's going to work starting 2022 for the title game for the Pac-12.
1: So, can you if if you're a conference right now, are you given the liberty to eliminate a conference title game or do you still have to do a conference title game?
0: Um I believe, I don't think anybody's going to eliminate it because of the dollars involved. Uh,
1: I didn't There's even think There's so of much
0: money for these conferences with sponsorships and everything. They're not going to say no to that. They're going to keep that. But the interesting thing now is you don't have to have divisions if you have 12 or more. You could find other creative ways to figure out how you're going to play.
1: Yeah, I like that, too, because if it, if the, your two best teams are in the West like this past year in Conference USA football, you just have those two teams play. It, you have the yep. two best teams no matter what, regardless. But, yeah, I did not factor in the TV revenue. You're exactly right. If it's TV dollars, they're not passing up on that.
0: Nah, there's no way. 18 in front of five as Sports Talk continues. Hey, we got more coming up involving uh... – a certain uh, individual in this program and and what movie they might have watched yesterday. So we'll do that next and get you ready for uh, the five o'clock hour with uh, Mr. Jeff Erickson from RotoWire, plus Tim Haggerty still to come as sports talk continues 600 ESPN El Paso. I feel like Adrian just gave us a little uh, foreshadowing into a movie he watched last night. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it's not very often he plays the Bee Gees coming out of commercial breaks, so that kind of tells me a little something. But we'll find out since uh, it is time for Adrian's movie review, nine in front of five a Sports Talk continues. All right, Adrian, what would you watch last night?
1: Yeah, I, I watched uh... – yeah, of course. Saturday Night Fever had to watch this one. Um, this is interesting because I had w- I've watched this musical probably fifty times. Uh, my my fiance starred in it at the UTEP Dinner Theater a couple years ago, and uh, now I got a chance to watch the full length feature. I prefer the musical, Steve. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Tony Manero escapes his boring life in Brooklyn, and he goes to this local disco. Uh, Tony and his friends they also hang out at this bridge and. With Saturday Night Fever, you're talking disco. You're talking about uh, the nice pants that John Travolta's wearing, the the crazy suits and everything, and and it's just. Uh you know, it's a lot of glam, a lot of 70s. I liked it. Um, the interesting part about this one is there was a ton of music. It yep. was definitely kind of like a drama musical. Sure. Um, he, now, I talked about that bridge. So he ends up meeting this female dancer. I'm talking about Tony, and, and her name is Stephanie. By the way, spoiler alert, for anybody who hasn't seen Saturday Night Fever, turn off your radio if you haven't and you don't want a spoiler. But Stephanie turns him down initially. Then she agrees to be his dance partner for this huge contest that's going on later on. Um, you know, you, you also have to talk about his friends like, well, first off, his brother, who's kind of like his friend as well, Frank Jr., who left the priesthood, uh, priesthood and now he's back with his family. Uh, he is now the black sheep of the family since he left the priesthood. You also have Bobby, who's another friend in their little crew. Uh, Bobby, un- uh, you know, to his, um, I guess to his eyes, he unfortunately impregnated his girlfriend at the time, and he's been kind of in disarray over this whole thing. Gus is another friend that actually got beat up by a local gang called the Barracudas. So, uh, fla- uh, you know, fast forward, Tony and Stephanie, they win this dancing contest. However, Tony gives this tro- the trophy that they won to another couple that he found way more deserving at the contest. So, following this... You actually have some grimy stuff going on, which did not happen in the musical, thank goodness. But uh, sexual assault by Tony in this. Then you talk about his gang and another sexual assault. It was just terrible. uh, Terrible things that happened there. And I wish I didn't have to watch that one, that part. But (laughs) after that, uh, the friends go to the bridge. We talked about Bobby from earlier. Well, he's still feeling down, but actually now he's feeling a little reckless. So they play at this bridge, and unfortunately for Bobby, he slips, he falls, and he dies. Uh, Steve, this, this leads Tony to have kind of this change of mind, mindset at the end of the movie. So he goes on the, su- on the subway. He, dro- he gets all the way to Stephanie's apartment, and then he apologizes, and he, he beg- basically begs for them back, and the two rekindle their relationship, and it's a nicer story when when it's all said and done. So Saturday Night Fever, you can watch it on Hulu. Uh, a lot of people liked it. On you know uh, you look at Rotten Tomatoes, eighty two percent. IMDb gave it seven out of ten. That's where I'll stand. Seven out of ten bananas for me after watching Saturday Night Fever. Uh, musical gets a golden banana.
0: So you like the musical more because it doesn't involve some of the um, messier stuff.
1: Definitely. Yes, that's right. A hundred percent. It's the PG. This movie should have been PG, man. It, it should have been a hundred percent.
0: All right. But it wasn't. So therefore, it loses three bananas.
1: That's right. Did well,
0: you- th- those two scenes were really bad. That's yeah. just why. I was like, ugh. You couldn't handle it. All right. I got yeah. you. All right. Listen, good job on that one. Appreciate it. Hey, hour two is coming up. And if the Aggies weren't loaded already for their basketball season coming up, uh, things just got even more interesting. We'll tell you who else is joining Greg Heyer as the 5 o'clock hour gets going here on Sports Talk at 600 ESPN El Paso. Here on Sports Talk. By the way, that's all we're getting. We're getting two hours today because Chihuahua's baseball coming up an hour from now. Dogs playing uh, out there at OKC against the Dodgers. First pitch six oh five. First pitch tomorrow five oh five means an hour tomorrow. That's it. Jay Jaffe will join us on tomorrow's show since he didn't join us today. We'll get a little Jay tomorrow. I uh, got a lot of talk uh, though. Let's 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 uh, take a look at uh, Twitter at six hundred ESPN El Paso. So Chris Banks twenty one says, "Did Adrian really just tell the listeners to turn the radio down?" If they haven't watched Saturday Night Fever, with a couple of crying emojis, now there's a there's a storyline to this, Chris. There's there's backstory to this. Okay, yesterday Adrian reviewed Bang the Drum Slowly, the 1973 baseball classic starring Robert De Niro. Okay, as he was giving away the movie, which is almost 50s 50, 50 years old, somebody tweeted out how. Do you? How are you giving us spoilers on this film? Like, he was upset with Adrian giving spoilers. The movie came out the year I was born, and he was upset about spoilers. Like, if you haven't seen Bang the Drum slowly by now, don't be upset that you're getting a spoiler alert. Maybe you should have watched the movie. So, as a result of yesterday's tweet, Adrian is now performing the listener... Public service announcement of giving you the opportunity to turn your radios down if you don't want to know how the movie ends or how it goes. If by any chance, by some miracle, you've been living in a rock like he was all these years, or you're just too young and you never watched Saturday Night Fever.
1: Yeah, Chris and uh, my son's red beer mix uh, roasted me yesterday for a spoiler, so I felt like I had to throw out that spoiler alert before if we're talking about anything with, involving death in a vo- in a movie. So, yeah, I'll do that for sure. And then on top of that, um, you know, I, I'll mix it up. I, I got a good call off air from uh, Richard uh, on the east side. I'll, I'll mix it up a little bit next time in, in, in future uh, movie reviews. Maybe I won't talk plot. Maybe I'll talk more trivia or ah, more fun facts and stuff like that.
0: Look at that. Look at that! I like that.
1: All, uh, all thanks to Richard on the East Side. He's good a job,
0: man. good job, Richard. Gator the Richard. Side. There you go, there you go. And by the way, I like it when you give away spoiler alerts for for fifty year old movies. As far as I'm concerned, uh, that's the whole point. That's that's. There's nothing yeah. wrong. With that. There's nothing wrong with that. You're giving us the breakdown of the movie, and then we all wait for the bananas at the very end. It's like everybody else has
1: seen these movies, at least I I think, and then I'm the one who's kind of like the last of the party. I'm the one who has to kind of wrap everything up and recap it for everybody.
0: Do you think we're ever going to get a movie that has the spoiled soft banana of zero out of ten?
1: Yes, I do. I think that's on the horizon. I think because I've been uh, recommended movies like Ice Station Zebra and, uh, you know, some other movies down
0: the line. You never know. We could get that spoiled banana. I would love that. Because we, we've we had the golden banana, but we haven't had the really soft, mushy, or even spoiled banana yet. The, that hasn't come around yet. The
1: rotten banana.
0: I know. I just didn't want to say rotten banana because it's rotten oh, that's tomatoes. it's true.
1: It's rotten tomatoes. I know. That's, that's
0: right. why I went with spoiled uh, spoiled banana or Good soft. Call. Or the, the ultra soft banana, you know? Yeah. I that would that. be. You, know, you You don't want that. The brown <laughs> banana. As it turns as it turns brown over the course of time, you know.
1: Just throw it in the freezer; it'll get a little better, I like that.
0: They or put it in the blender and make it a uh, part of a smoothie, and you're good to go.
1: Yeah, I like that. That's that's very true.
0: All right. Um, so anyway, good job there. Appreciate that. Um, this comes from Shane AD nine eighty eight. Hey Steve, I hope by some miracle the arena still happens in downtown. Maybe they could integrate the Doranguito neighborhood into the arena with shops and restaurants. Uh, I put a story up on the website yesterday, but I have not really uh promoted it yet which I'm going to do in twitter here in a little bit um this, the, the gist of it is this for the second time in 10 years the city of el paso has a feasibility study about the uh proposed you know downtown arena or what it's officially called the multipurpose performing arts and entertainment center okay the mpc and they will decide by when the report is due in, in january of next year what happens next? And the article essentially is, it's dead. Don't even think anymore about a downtown arena. It's not happening. It's not happening the way you envisioned it. It's never going to happen unless it gets built with privately funded dollars. But the $180 million that was passed in 2012, if you wanted a $180 million uh, state-of-the-art arena... It would hold about four or 5,000 people. I mean, you're not getting a 15,000 seat arena or whatever you want for that dollar price. It's just not happening. I think Austin's arena now is close to 400 million, Adrian. They started at 300 million when they broke ground in late 2019, about three months before COVID really hit. And that's just getting finished now, two and a half years later as a result of COVID and the rising costs of what these uh, projects are now worth. So my my point is, is that, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, all these years and the delays and the the millions that the city spent in legal fights with Max Grossman and all this and all that with Doran Maybe it's, maybe when we look back on this, people are going to think that, hey, Grossman saved the city, you know, tons of uh tons of millions in, in losses that would have happened had they built this thing because you probably would never have had the anchor tenant that really would have satisfied the way you've got the chihuahuas for southwest university park you're never going to have an anchor tenant playing 72 nights a year plus the soccer team that's that that would never happen so you know you combine those you're getting almost 100 dates a year at southwest university park here you'd be lucky if you had 30 so you could put concerts in and all that but ultimately um my prediction, and I put this in the article, what I think will end up happening is you will probably see that money either uh credited back to the city, which wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, you save the city hundred and eighty million dollars, I'd be fine with that. Or you might end up seeing the convention center getting the renovation that it so richly deserves because that building is archaic and let's be honest, when you walk in there, you feel like you're in a time machine back to the 70s and 80s anyway, which isn't a bad thing. But for the purpose of this particular facility, maybe that gets the $180 million renovation and the convention center becomes one of the top uh, convention venues uh, in the western portion of the United States. That would not be a bad thing if it ends up happening like that.
1: Yeah, because you could generate a lot of revenue in that, and it doesn't have to be just sports, and it doesn't have to just be concerts or entertainment, things like that. So that's encouraging right there. Uh, I cited some high school uh, numbers yesterday as far as stadiums and prices go. Uh, I'll give you two that at least jump off the page for me. Um, outside of, in the Houston area right now, there are five stadiums that cost at least $40 million to build now here's a local one, so okay that's east texas I get it let's let's do something local, uh, according to Colin Deaver, our friend from k t s m the sac two this is the socorro and uh the uh, the athletic center out there the complex that's going to be built as kind of that secondary version of the sac uh this is going to cost fifty eight point nine million dollars, Steve, and it will have a capacity between sixty five hundred and seventy five hundred people.
0: 58000 of million 58 million and, yep. and and the and and yeah but listen that is for what's the what's the capacity 6500 to 7500 where this is the second sack right but that's an outdoor facility remember we want to talk about it's so much cheaper to build an outdoor venue than an indoor venue indoor venues are more expensive Lighting costs, all the seating and everything else. It's just it's, and and you got to enclose it. Not to mention suites, skyboxes, club access, all that kind of stuff. You know, when we were originally talking about this a few years ago, we said, "Hey, for 180 million, they could have a really nice soccer-specific stadium for the locomotive that they could make a multi-purpose center." But it doesn't qualify because it's outdoor, not indoor. It's different. It would have to get back on the ballot, voted through and all that. And chances are that might not pass either. So I get what you're saying about the sack, the capacity and what it holds. Point is, is that a venue like that versus a venue like this, apples and oranges, when you talk about seating capacity, um, you know, one is enclosed, what what it entails, and not only that. How are you going to get to it? That's the better question. How, you know, you can't get to downtown through 375 anymore. They've sealed off those exits. So how would you even access it?
1: That's a really uh, that's another good point right there. And, and with the reference to the sack, it was more about just building costs and how that has really skyrocketed over the past couple of years. Which uh, you know, when we're talking about an indoor arena like this, ha- it just doesn't make sense. Like financially, that that money that was passed years ago uh, doesn't isn't the same kind of money nowadays in twenty twenty two. And like you said, proximity, you know, location. Where is it going to be even placed in downtown El Paso? Uh, it, it would be too, you know a lot. People complain about downtown traffic and parking. Working right now uh
0: you throw something like that there i'm not sure what what people
1: would be saying after that
2: i'm
0: with you on that one i'm with you so anyway i just don't i don't see this happening i mean it's it's not coming it's not happening at least as i'm putting though in the uh in the story not with publicly funded dollars private and uh, private money i could see it but i don't know if the private if the private uh, sector wants to spend i mean it's uh, who in their right mind would spend three to $400 million right now for a downtown arena?
1: No, no one. No, Not right now. Uh, not after what this, this city has experienced after COVID. No way. I, I, you can't justify that to me, Steve.
0: Me neither. Me neither. So, All right, 13 passed as we continue. 505-6009, our telephone number, as we uh, roll along on the program here tonight and uh, get you ready for a little Chihuahuas baseball. Um We talked about the Eastern Conference series to begin the program. Touched on the West a little bit. We really spent a lot yesterday. We had two guests on the NBA Eastern and Western Conference Finals. If you missed yesterday's show, it was terrific. Um, And, and, you know, we we really had David DeFore, and then we also had uh, Kurt Heelan on to talk about it. Are you more excited about the Dallas Golden State series than the Miami Boston series? Yes, I am. I, I
1: I just prefer the Western Conference. Me personally, I like Luca. I like uh, Steph Curry. I think you have nice superstars in that series, and uh, I I just think it's there's a lot of storylines with that. The the West is real deep next year with a lot of guys who were injured this year coming back next year. So yeah, I want to see who comes out this year. Who who's able to escape the West uh, between uh,
0: you know the Mavs and the and Golden State. Absolutely. So anyway, that's going to be a lot of fun. Now, speaking of fun, if you're an Aggies basketball fan, this upcoming season is going to be a lot of fun. I know you, uh, you're you replacing uh, one of the great coaches in the history of the program in Chris Jans with Greg Heyer, but holy smokes, have they loaded up on this roster. Today, today, we found out that they landed LSU transfer Xavier Pinson. Here's a guy that's got over a 1,000 career points in the SEC, four years of experience. Pinson's going to be running the show at the guard spot now for the Aggies. The roster was loaded to begin with. Adrian, now it's borderline sick what uh, Hire's going to have to work with. Now, with all the talent comes egos, playing time, and and trying to figure out how he's going to balance this. And I don't know. I mean, that was what Jan's was brilliant at. Jan's just always knew how to get every ego to buy in together for the common good. That's going to be the question because on paper, Hire's got a team that's got more talent than he knows what to do with. How will he handle? Now with Pinson, who just came on board, and everybody else, that's going to be the big question mark.
1: Yeah, Xavier Pinson, what a grab right here for New Mexico State. This is a an absolute splash transfer that they ended up getting. Now, people questioned yesterday when Jordan Ivy Curry uh, said that he, you know, he's going to Pacific instead of going to New Mexico State. People were even throwing some uh, red flags and saying, "What's going on here? How, how did he decommit?" Well, now you kind of see why Uh, his spot was taken by somebody who is uh, maybe one of the best uh, point guards available at this point right now in the transfer portal process. Uh, One other thing to mention, he comes from Simeon Academy out of uh, Chicago. You wonder if Evan Gilliard, who is a former minor and a former Aggie, who also played at Simeon, if he had to do with anything as far as Pinson coming to New Mexico State.
0: Possibly, I could see that. You wonder, and I'm sure those two have played together over the years. That makes a lot of sense, too. So they're about the same age. So uh, that's a big one, though. Xavier Pinson to the Aggies. Uh, what was already a loaded team just got even better, which is crazy. And you're right. They've upgraded. They've upgraded from Jordan and Ivy Curry, which is hard to believe. All right. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to Greg Heyer more about his team and how he's going to juggle it all together in the upcoming days and weeks here on Sports Talk. First, though, 17 past as uh, we continue. Let's go to Charlie One for traffic. Then we'll come back. A little fantasy talk with Jeff Erickson. Our weekly chat is next on 600 ESPN El Paso. Welcome back. 21 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Chihuahuas baseball about 40 minutes from now. But first, I want to uh, jump out to the phone lines and – Welcome in one of our favorites. Talks fantasy sports with us every week on the program. From rotowire.com, your one-stop shop for fantasy sports, he is Mr. Jeff Erickson. Jeff, welcome back. Good to have you on the program. Hey, thanks, Steve. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm
2: well. Uh, Hey, I'm excited about the start of the PGA tomorrow. I mean, uh, second major of the year, great field, great course. Uh, Just pumped to get going on that.
0: By the way, I played golf for the first time in over two years on Monday, and uh, man, Jeff, I, I missed it so much. Now I know why I love golf, but uh, ultimately, maybe it's even more fun when I don't get to play it because, you know, when you could show up without even hitting a ball on the driving reins and, 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 and just hit that perfect drive, that right in the middle of the fairway, and oh, it's what a great feeling. You know, it, it really is, uh, it, it is such a great sport when things are going right.
2: It is. It really is. Uh, all it takes is like one good hole, even one good shot, sometimes, to get that bug, and you're like, oh, I remember I can do that. That's fun. And then it's also super frustrating. It's like, why don't I do that more often? But uh, yeah, uh, it, playing playing golf is something. I, you know, I'm going to be able to do forever too, nearly forever. So uh, that's that's one of the other cool things.
0: What do you like most? What's your? Are you better in the short game or your long game? Uh um I'd say it it
2: varies i mean i think nothing's better than just smoking a good drive but you yep. know even, even if by your own standards right you sure. know i'm not i'm not a huge hitter but if i hit one 230 240 in the fairway hey that's a that's a good day you know and that, you know you put a couple shots together. That's where it really feels good. I like sticking a green. I think more
0: than anything else. Yeah, that's a blast when you can do that. Adrian, what about you? What What is the most satisfying thing for you on the golf course since you've only been playing for about a year?
1: Ah, uh, when you have a beautiful, like nice chip, or if you're if you're going out and, and you just have something that lands and sticks onto the green and actually rolls in. That's the best feeling
0: to me. Have you had one of those so yes, far? Yes, yeah, I've had like three. Luckily, really? It's all luck.
1: It's all luck. And El Paso, very favorable greens at times. It's dry, so
0: you're, yeah. you're going with some favorable bounces at times. But, yeah, I've had three. Have you come close to a hole-in-one? Yes, yeah. Ooh. that's yeah. nice. Uh, how many holes-in-one for you over the course of your lifetime, Jeff?
2: One. Just one. Uh, but, hey, I, I have friends that are better golfers than I that have not had a hole-in-one, so... Uh, You know, take it for what it's worth, you know. And the funny thing is I didn't even get to see it go in the hole. It was like one of those where the the cup itself was a little blind, uh, but I knew I hit it where I wanted to and walked up, and there it
0: was. That's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. All right. Um, Let's start talking fantasy uh, sports. We'll start talking some fantasy baseball uh, here on Sports Talk. Um, your team, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, they're better as of late, but they're still a terrible team. And uh, they've got a guy that's one of the hottest pickup names in the entire waiver wire in Brandon Drury, a guy that seems like he's been around forever, but he's just he's getting an opportunity, and he's making the most of it this year in Cincinnati.
2: Yeah, uh, he's since cooled off a little bit since everybody started picking him up. But uh, the thing about Drury is he's had more barrels this year than he had all of last season already. So, uh, And, yes, Playing regularly tends to help that, and I think you know he'll get that up to Jonathan India is going to be at least another week. Even when he comes back, though, there's plenty of room for him to play. The tricky part is if they ever decide to move uh, John, uh, Tyler Stevenson out from behind the plate, that's when uh, playing time might get a little bit sparse. So that's going to take away either first base or DH. Joey Votto is probably coming back on Friday, so... It's going to start to be a little tiny bit more crowded in the Reds lineup. I mean, it's still not a good lineup even after all that. But, uh, yeah, he's been a nice find for anybody that took the chance early on.
0: I would think so, too. Um, Yeah, He's he's done well, seven home runs, 22 RBIs. You're right, the batting average is down to .243, but he is slugging .514, uh, which is second on the team behind Stevenson. By the way, if they move Stevenson out behind the plate, who's catching for that team? You can't tell me Aramis Garcia is the answer.
2: Does it really matter, Steve?
0: Yes, it does from a fan- because in fantasy baseball, from a fantasy standpoint it yes. does, of course it does. But Catch- I'm
2: saying from a, a Reds developmental standpoint, no. this is a retooling team. They don't have an obvious answer. That's that's really my point. Um and I don't mean to be flippant, but uh especially dismissive towards you. I don't mean to be that way, but uh more it's just this is a team where Okay, you don't have a catching prospect now. Fine, we're just trying to – they're in the accumulation of talent phase. I I think they'll be hesitant and slow to move Tyler Tyler Stevenson out from behind the plate. But the reason they're even thinking about it is the two concussions he's had, or one concussion he had this year and then had a foul ball go off his mask last week, and he sat for a couple of days. Uh, That raised Jeff Brantley to raise the issue, uh, to to propose moving him out from behind the plate. But I I think they're going to take their time because it's hard to find a plus catcher.
0: Is Nick Senzel officially a bust? Is it it time to just call him a bust and say he will never make it in the bigs?
2: I'm not there yet. Uh, I may be the last. Uh, I'll grant you that. But uh, just as I was the last in Austin Kearns, too. um, I'll be holding out hope until the very end. The Reds did him wrong by the way they they brought him up, moving him to various positions, even messing around with some playing time here and there. uh, I I think he, he... was not developed properly. Now he's had a hard time staying healthy too. Uh, delayed, you know, whether it's illness or injury, I mean, he's had a lot of issues over his career and currently this year. But I still think that there's some talent there. Maybe it's just uh, I'm. It, it might just be how much they uh, invested him in the draft. So I'm not willing. You know. Most people probably have declared him a bust. I'm not there yet.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, Salvador Perez put on the I.L. yesterday by the Royals. That gives rookie MJ Melendez a chance. Hit his first ever big league home run yesterday. Uh, A lot of fantasy owners excited about Melendez after what he did uh, climbing up the prospect ladder last year. Yeah,
2: he he really developed a lot of power last season. Now, the thing is, He's earned this call-up, but they weren't playing him every day. They were sitting him against lefties. It was frustrating to see him sit, for instance, against uh, the Rockies in Coors Field on Friday uh, last week. Just, if you're the Royals, what are you doing? Just play him every day. Let him hit against lefties. Let him learn. You know, it, I understand. You know, we're not. You're not a teaching academy, but at the same time, if your your next good team is going to have Melendez playing every day.
0: That's exactly right. I think they will. I think it's kind of the same thing as to what Arizona is doing right now with Alec Thomas. And look at the results of what he's given to his first 10 games with the with the D-backs.
2: Yeah, he's playing a little bit more, but the thing is, it's weird about Alec Thomas is he's batting ace so frequently, and I don't quite understand that.
0: I don't know either. Uh, was it the right move to return Royce Lewis to AAA with Carlos Correa coming back? He hits three oh eight in 11 games, two home runs uh, with the, uh, with the uh, Twins. But we know he's playing a position right now that ultimately they've got locked up for a long time. So what does Minnesota do with Royce Lewis? Do they trade him? No. Um, everything I've read
2: is that they're, they're having him play third base. Uh, other positions, but mostly third base, just so he can play there when he comes back in a couple of weeks. This is a short-term thing. It's for once the work on his defense is actually working on his defense.
0: Okay, but um, it's good to see guys that you know have been highly regarded prospects get their first cup of coffee and perform well instead of struggling and get sent back down because they couldn't uh, they couldn't figure it out at least in their first shot.
2: Absolutely, and Lewis, Lewis looks great. Teammate Jose Miranda, not so much. Alex Kirilov, not so much. So, you know, it can go both ways on that one. They're on the, even in the same organization. But, yeah, he'll come
0: back soon. We could also put the same thing in Seattle with uh, what we've seen, unfortunately, from uh, Kelenic, who has uh, really struggled as after being considered one of the top prospects in all of baseball a couple years ago.
2: Yep. Uh, agreed. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a while, I think, for him. Uh uh, it may, maybe he tears it up in AAA right away, and you know, they've, they've, it's a simple switch, but it doesn't feel like it's simple after. Or this is the second time he's done this. You know, yep. we last September he showed some signs of turning around. I bought into it. I have him on a couple of rosters or had him uh, as a case of maybe non-keeper leagues, but I don't think you can afford to hold him right now unless you're in a keeper league or in a league of a pretty decent amount of depth.
0: More with uh, Mr. Erickson as we continue here on Sports Talk. If you've got a question for us, tweet us now, 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter, as we send it back to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Turn it again, Adrian. The Rangers are giving me some excitement right now. I got to temper my enthusiasm as a long suffering Ranger fan and realize the first period of a seven game series with Carolina, but it's always nice when you strike first like that.
1: They were dead, uh, according to you, just a week ago. Steve, they were look at, dead. Look at this, the Undertaker. They've, they've come back.
0: That's what happens. That, listen, when you follow Ranger hockey, Jeff, this is what happens. I mean, I I was expecting them to lose in overtime to Pittsburgh in Game Seven. Didn't think they'd come back and win uh, that one, and come back from three one down. It shows that they got a little life right now in this uh, postseason.
2: Yeah, they do. Uh, that was a that was a great Game Seven. I'm in a side bet with a buddy of mine, and I picked the, the, picked the pens. I'm so sorry to do that. I should have known you're a Rangers fan. I would have done so otherwise. But still, maybe a little salty over Jacob Truba's elbow issues there. But yep. uh, uh, um, been a great first. It was a great first round of the playoffs. Saw a lot of uh, great series last night. You saw Colorado and St. Louis. I mean, thirteen to nothing in shots in overtime. I, I'm a Red Wings fan actually, and I, so I kind of hate Colorado. But I hate the older, the previous version of Colorado. I mean, it's not like Claude Lemieux coming through that locker room door to, for me to hate on, but nonetheless, it's hard to get past that organizational bias a little bit sometimes.
0: No, you're right. And then, of course, the Lightning win 4-1 yesterday, beat the Panthers after what uh, how they got by uh, you know Toronto, despite being down three games to two and being on the brink of elimination a couple of times. They survive. I'm impressed with the Avalanche. The Avalanche made it look so easy in the first round. This team, it, it's almost like they're, they're scoring too quickly at times.
2: Yeah, they're they're the best. They're the class of the playoffs. They they were the f- obvious first pick in our draft uh, that we did. Uh, my, me and my buddy, uh, I lost out and didn't get the first pick. So uh, yeah, uh, but you know what? I don't have to pick a team that I hate. So I got that going for me, which there is nice. Go. But, there you uh, go. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun playoffs, and Colorado looks like to be the class so far.
0: So let's talk injuries in baseball. Start off with Clayton Kershaw. I don't even know what an SI, an SI joint is, and especially when I try to pronounce, what is it, Sacroliac? i have just, that is not, I'm not a medical specialist. I couldn't tell you. Uh, my question is, how serious could that be for Kershaw?
2: So, I had Stefania Bell from ESPN, a licensed physical therapist, uh, you know, our injury go to expert, and she's not surprised at all. This is going to take multiple weeks. When it happened, she was kind of calling that. So, uh, it, you know, it, it's still waiting for the effects of the epidural to kick in. Uh, not a good sign there. He's going to be out for a little bit there. Uh, I don't. I don't know a ton of detail about the injury, but uh, it. You know, it, it affects it, him uh, his stride. And yep. you know, it, it's the. You know. You know. At, at first, I was like, oh, SI joint. That's got to be like something in the shoulder or elbow. No, it's the hip, and it's his lead hip.
0: As a Met fan, I'm worried about Taylor McGil- Tyler McGill because uh, yep. his looks worse than originally expected. He was off to such a great start, and now finding out that he's got a shoulder in- injury, which uh, I guess is biceps tendonitis, and it seems like McGill's not coming back anytime soon.
2: No. And, you know, it. it McGill and Jesus Lazardo both introduce a topic that, you know, conundrum that we have to face sometimes. Uh, there's a pretty high correlation between – Gains in velocity and gains in performance, but also a pretty high correlation in gains in velocity and likelihood of injury yep. uh, for pitchers. And you know, it's a, that fine line. You know, they must that they have to stride. You almost want to hope that you don't find pitchers that are overhauling everything in the off season. There, that they're successful in and of itself to begin with. There, but. Uh, yeah, I I I wouldn't count a whole lot of McGill anytime soon. Same Lazardo even more so because it's the forearm. I think that bothers me even more.
0: I know. And I always I always wonder if, if strain is a precursor to Tommy John, but apparently uh it's not, but you still gotta be really careful with it and you can't uh risk coming back too soon, that's for sure. Um exactly. Jake O'Dorizzi. It looked awful. It looked like uh when he went to try to cover first and it was going to be uh, that he that he ripped his Achilles, but we find out it's his ankle, it's not as bad. And I guess good news for Astros fans cuz O'Dorizzi's been pitching well as of late.
2: He has um and you know it, it's that is encouraging for sure. Uh you know, he'll probably be out for a while still. Uh, so we'll watch to see that. I think they've already put him on the IL, but Uh, they already had six starters, so you know, although they're kind of you know, Jose or got knocked around yesterday, Garcia's already down 5 1 in the Red Sox. I think some of this is resurgence Red Sox roster, but uh, at the same time, um, yeah, it's gonna put a little test on the the Astros' depth, uh, that that they're not as deep as they've been in the past with McCullers also out.
0: Very true. All right, um, Let's talk a little bit about what's up at the website right now at rotowire. dot com. Um, I was talking about the fantasy baseball injury report. It's good information, definitely something you want to keep an eye on. What are some of the other stories you want to profile for our listeners this week, Jeff? You
2: know, uh, it's right now. It's just this is the time where we're just getting through it. You know, you're you starting to see some corrections. You're starting to see, okay, now, you know we we've seen we've gotten by so far. Now some of like the negative. Starts are starting to get better. Uh, some of the negative starters are starting to get better. Some of the uh, hot starters are, uh, you know, catching up. i say Corbin Young's uh, barrel rates guy is a, uh, uh... barrel rates article is pretty interesting. Uh, Eric Halterman with in, his MLB barometer is always solid, uh, and even retired scout Bernie Pluskoff. Check him out. He also is on my XM show every Monday, but he writes for us as well, and he talks about some of the NL position players he's really interested in building around.
0: I also want to let our our, our our listeners, I was going to say readers, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's the wrong uh, wrong, wrong stuff. Right. Our, our listeners, know, although they do read our websites, that's true. That's true. So they read the websites, but I want to let them know about what you've got on your football section for the schedule release. You've got... Uh, Great stuff on odds, picks, predictions. You've got best matchups, most anticipated games. Really, really good stuff on the NFL section. Not to mention uh, Alan Soslowski's video uh, warning uh, people about certain rookies to grab that might hurt them in the long run.
2: Yeah, and Alan coordinates a lot of our video work. So when you see me do a video, it's usually... Alan and I working together. So Alan's been doing all sorts of great work. I'm glad you pointed him out. And we're actually doing a five-round rookie-only draft right now that will be live on the site shortly.
0: Good to hear. And by the way, bad news. This came out uh, 10 minutes ago. Dan Hayes reporting that Chris Paddock just had season-ending Tommy John surgery for the Twins.
2: Yeah, when they put him on the 60 man, a 60 day DL, you know, that was a, that was your sign right there that is probably bad news. Yeah, don't like seeing it. Um tough break for him cuz he was getting a new Start a new location, it's yep. not working
0: out. And especially since, if you remember, when he was traded as a minor leaguer from, uh, from the Marlins to the Padres, he got hurt almost immediately uh, after that trade in ball and had Tommy John, came all the way back, came up to the big leagues, was great as a rookie. So this is now the second time in Paddock's career he's had to deal with Tommy John surgery.
2: Yeah, that's, that's rough. Rare. It's rare to see a, a two-timer like that. It, it, you can come back from it, but the odds are increasingly
0: against him. Great job as always, Jeff. Appreciate the conversation. We'll talk to you again right back here next Wednesday. You bet. Thank you, Steve. You got it. He's Jeff Erickson, folks. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Erickson. Check out all his great work at rotowire.com. 20 in front of six. Hags is next from um, Oklahoma City and Bricktown. We'll get you out to the ballpark in just a moment. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN, El Paso.